In this episode of the Deming Institute podcast, Dr. Doug Stilwell is our guest. Doug discusses his application of the Deming philosophy as a superintendent in education. Also, Doug revisits his presentation on trust from the Deming Fall Conference. Hi, I'm Trip Babbitt. Today's guest is Dr. Doug Stilwell, Superintendent for the Urbandale Community School District. Welcome to the Deming Institute podcast, Doug. Thank you, Tripp. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Great. Um, my first question is, can you tell me a little bit about the Urbandale School District and, and what you're doing there as superintendent? Yep, that's a great question. I appreciate it. Um, we're a district of about 3,900 students. And I'm currently in my fifth year as superintendent of the schools. I've been here 10 years. Yeah, I had some previous central office uh, positions before becoming superintendent. And when I became superintendent, um, based on some learning in the past, I knew that we um, needed to make some improvements uh, in our district based on some scores that we've had, really pretty good scores. Um, but as I learned about variation, I found that we were a stable district, but we needed to improve. And so we've been working for the past five years to bring in the theories and philosophies of Dr. Deming to make those improvements to our system. And it's it's been a real interesting journey for us. This is really um, an unknown topic for most educators. We aren't trained in this, which is unfortunate. But we've, we've been working really hard with that. And in fact, I can tell you over the past two years, we've now started to see the results in terms of our achievement. We've seen, the, we've seen the highest achievement levels in our reading and math scores that we have in the past about 17 years. Okay. Wow. That, that's really good. So, so you've been involved in this, uh, Dr. Deming's philosophy for a while. How did you first come across Dr. Deming and his work? Yeah. Um, I, w I would first tell you that I've been an educator for 35 years, and I've always felt like something was not right that something was missing. I just didn't know what that was. And my first time that I interacted with Dr. Deming's work was in 1992 when I was uh, working on my master's degree. And I ran across an article by him. I thought it was really interesting and, and really cool and all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, I didn't do much with it after that. Got involved with some other systems thinking work uh, in the mid-90s. Um, working on some of the stuff with Peter Senge, okay. um, and I really appreciated his work, but it never gave me anything pragmatic to hold on to to tell me what to do. And then I, I had applied for a job in another district, Cedar Rapids in Iowa, for the position of continual improvement coordinator as associate superintendent. Did not get the job, but I began looking at their website, and just you know my jaw just dropped by the things that they were doing, and that got me really interested in the quality continual improvement. And in the summer of 2009, had the opportunity to go to um, Billings, Montana, to one of the Langford seminars. And at that time, I was associate superintendent and brought back a few ideas. And, and I didn't have that much leverage in the organization at that point. Well, in 2010, I was named superintendent of Urbandale. We went back to another one of David's um, seminars that happened to be actually in, in Indiana, a little town called Bluffton. Mm -hmm. And I was so enamored with it. it. It was like it was like this is it. This is the stuff I've been looking for, and I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just me. And so what I did in the summer of 2010 was to take several administrators who volunteered to go, and, and several teachers again who volunteered. So I wanted to see if their reaction was the same as mine. And um, you know, 
when you get exposed to it, it's like drinking from a fire hose. And I remember after the first day asking folks, what do you think? What do you think? And they said, well, I, I'm overwhelmed. But at the end of the four days, and as we came back and continued to meet, they said, yep, this is the direction we need to go. This, this really is about, in so many ways, it's just about good teaching and looking at things from a systems perspective. So um, David Langford was huge in, in my introduction. Um, I'd also, uh, at that point, got real interested after David's conference and uh, have attended the Deming Fall Conference since 2009. But we brought David back to our district in 2000, oh gosh, 2011, 12, and 13, we had David come to our district. Okay. Um, so we've had a, a large number of people in our district that have been trained. So through that work, through the Deming Institute and, and meeting the folks that are associated with that, Dick Steele and Kevin Cahill, Bill Bellows, uh, those folks have been very instrumental in my own learning, which, can, you know, as I continue to deepen my understanding, I can help the folks in our central office to do likewise. And uh, I think we're really in a good shape in terms of moving forward. Very good. So... As you're going through this journey, um, and I like to reference it as a journey, absolutely. Uh, what are the the aha moments that you've had? What what are the things that stand out to you as you were learning that you just sit there and say, uh, "Oh, this was kind of a breakthrough for the way I vers the way I thought before versus the way you're thinking now with with the Deming philosophy." Yep, so much of it gets back to when Dr. Deming says that. The people are not the problem. It's the system. And that's been made huge ahas for me as I looked at our own district achievement levels. When I first became superintendent, and I mentioned this earlier, when I first became superintendent, and I looked at our levels, and they looked, they looked pretty darn good. But then when I learned to put together a control chart, I saw that it was good. Our system um, was certainly, you know, stable. And if we wanted to make any significant achievements, improvements in our district, we needed to improve the system. And I use the word improve. People often talk about change, and we know change, improvement requires change, but sometimes in education, we've been, I think one author said, we change at the drop of a hat. We change promiscuously. And so typically no long-lasting results are seen. So it was not hard to me to say we need to look at how our system is functioning and how that's contributing to the achievement of the students and knowing that if we can improve the system, we're going to improve the results of at least 95% of our students, and that's pretty hard to argue with. Hmm. Along with that, another big aha was in Iowa when they look at our achievement scores over the last 30 years, we get hit over the head with the with the notion that well nothing's improved your sto your scores are stagnant and um, people have passed you by and they're right, but you know as well as I do the people who typically get blamed for that are the teachers and again it's not the teachers. Right. So I began looking at those 35 years and and that's how long as I said I've been an educator and thinking about the multiple initiatives that have come down from the legislature or the Department of Education. You know, I, I can point to several, including, you know, how many times I've been trained for, you know, how to how to evaluate teachers and other people better. Mm -hmm. And you would, you, one would think with all those initiatives, you would have seen some change in achievement, and we saw none. So it that told me the big aha was none of those attempts, while well-intended, had any impact. Mm. And what it caused me to think back to Dr. Deming is that, Unless we take a systems approach, we're doomed to fail. And so that's what's led me to look at where I have the leverage, which is in Urbandale, to begin to make those improvements, to look at our system, 
begin to make improvements in those systems, and as we're seeing now, we're seeing improved results in student achievement. I was a little leery last year when we saw improvements. I thought, okay, is this a one-year bump? Well, now I've got year two, and at least we're starting a trend. And mm-hmm. so that gives a lot of us uh, something to celebrate, and it gives us hope about what we're trying to do. And interestingly, Trip, the teachers that we find who are implementing this, these ideas with the greatest amount of fidelity as we look at their individual or grade level scores, they those students are doing the best from those classrooms. Oh, wow, wow, that's those are uh, uh, great results. So, what are some of the challenges that you you face? And I and I've got to believe in education. You know, there's things from the outside, definitely, but you may be, but not only those. But what are some of the challenges that you had in trying to uh, uh, use the Deming philosophy uh, in, in your school district? Yeah, well, one of the things that we can all probably relate to is this notion of change mm-hmm. and how people are resistant to it. You know, people say that no one minds being changed, but no one wants to be changed. And so we knew that if we were going to make this happen, um, we felt we needed to do it in a fairly, what I would call, organic process, which means we weren't going to come back the first year and shove it down people's throats. So the first the first three years of my superintendency, we asked David to come for his seminar, and we invited people to attend. And it was it was at no cost to them. The district picked up that tab. We just wanted to invite people and say, just try something. Um, there's no pressure. There's no expectation. And over the three years, we had a number of people go ahead and, and uh, go through the training. Some went back and really invested in it, and some didn't. And so after those three years, I said we kind of took this organic process, and I, the organic process I used was kind of modeled on my limited understanding of farming. I, I'm married to a farm girl, and so I said to my wife, I said, well, I think I've got the process down. And she said, well, what will it be? I said, well, we've got to go out and plant seeds, and then we have to make sure that we cultivate um, well, and that's done through some weeding, and that's done through education, and then we get to reap the harvest. And, of course, as any typical wife would do, she told me I was wrong. (laughs) And I said, well, what is it this time? She said, well, you missed maybe the most important part. And I said, what's that? She said, Doug, every spring, the first thing we do is not plant seeds, but we prepare the soil. Hmm. And so that's where the idea of just providing the learning opportunities for people to prepare the soil to make sure it's a fertile bed that the learning could take place in. And then it was the planting of seeds and supporting people. But one of the challenges we face is that, you know, folks have been in this profession a long time, even those that haven't been in a long time don't want to change. This is a system we all grew up in mm-hmm. as, as students. It's a system we were educated in as teachers and administrators. And you know as well as I do, it's hard to see the need of the system from inside the system. Oh, absolutely. So after three years of kind of laying that foundation of preparing the soil, we at that point said, you know, we've we've communicated where we're going. Now we're going there. And so we laid some expectations that people, you know, you don't have to go full bore into it, but we want to see it implemented to this level. And, and of course, we've seen some pushback. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And so we have to stop and think, what do we do about that pushback? You know, I can I can wield the superintendent's authority and force people and I know exactly what will happen they'll they'll resist as I would mm-hmm. so it's this continuing ongoing process of trying to educate people giving them opportunities to practice supporting them pointing out you know when when folks have been successful what the results have been to try to help people to come to the same conclusion I have that 
whether you're looking at the district as a whole or a building or a classroom, it's a system. And the way you approach that system will have the most impact on student learning. But as I said, um, I would say we've got about 90% of our folks who are implementing it at some level. Um, but of course, there's variation in there. And we have to continue to look at who needs the most support, what can we do to help them. The other piece was tr working with the board you know, my seven bosses who grew up in the same system we all did and, and maybe didn't understand why we might need to change. And I remember the first time David was in our district in 2011, and I it happened to be he was here one of the days we had a board meeting. I had him come to the board meeting, and he's talking to the board, and, and I've realized afterwards it was probably too early for him to do that. He was He was talking way beyond their understanding. But as we've come on and what we've tried to do over the past couple of years, is we have what we call quality updates at board meetings where we have teachers who have been implementing successfully. Um, they come to the board and they share. We've done some training around systems work with the board uh, about their own performance. And so we actually have a board that is, pardon the pun, fully on board with the work that we're doing and very supportive of it, particularly now that we've seen some, some results, some improved results in our achievement levels. But I think the change piece is always the most difficult. And I think as I as I think I understand uh, Dr. Deming's um, system of profound knowledge, the psychology pieces, a lot of it is based around how to help people make those changes, how, how to help change their paradigms. And, uh, you know, it can be slow going, but we're making progress. Very good. Um, I, I like planting analogy or the agriculture analogy. Uh, interesting that you brought that up because uh, in a recent conversation I had with Claire Crawford Mason, mm -hmm. she, was, she was talking about how the original improvements that we made, you think about agriculture, you know, 97, 100 years ago or more, 97% uh, of the people out there worked in agriculture, you know, mm -hmm. because you had to uh, right. in order to, to grow food. And they grew through improvement. They actually uh, operated with some of the fundamentals that Dr. Deming talked about just because they had to. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so some of the advancements uh, that had happened there uh, first happened in agriculture. But as we got industrialized, we seemed to have moved away from that. And so uh, it's, it's interesting how things have transpired since uh, agriculture. I, I do love the analogy, though, and the fact that even that your wife came in and corrected you <laughs> and, gently, well, as, guess, as they have a tendency to, to do. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Very good. Now, I was listening to uh, your fall conference uh, video, and uh, you were talking about trust as a systemic structure for innovations in schools and organizations. And mm -hmm. I, I thought maybe you could you could say a couple things about that because I think that the two questions that uh, I got out of there uh, were uh, the ones that you had put up, which is, I, "Am I behaving in a trustworthy manner?" Right. And then the second one that you kind of uh, gravitate to is, "Am I creating systemic structures that support trust in the entire organization?" Mm -hmm. Can you maybe comment about, first of all, maybe what had you pick that particular subject? And now I I'll understand a little bit because of your systems uh, background, but how that plays out? What's the message that you might want to leave the audience with regards to that presentation? Yeah, I, um, I've had a real interest in trust. Oh, gosh, I was able to do a presentation at the National Systems Thinking Conference in 2001 about it and then was approached by uh, the editors of the Systems Thinking Magazine to do an article, which really pushed my thinking. But typically when I think about when people 
focus on trust. They think about it at the interpersonal level, which is important. And that's that question about, am I behaving trustworthy? But that's not often enough. Sometimes there are conditions in organizations that create a lack of trust. Uh, and I would say this is directly related to Dr. one of Dr. Deming's 14 points about driving out fear. Mm-hmm. If there's fear in an organization, um, I've come to the conclusion that means there's no trust. And so by um, engendering trust through through policy and procedure and individual behaviors, we can free people up not to be afraid, you know, to go out and do their work and possibly, in terms of this presentation, feel more free to try to innovate because that's where the real improvements happen, isn't it? I think Dr. Acoff talks about discontinuous improvement where we have Mm -hmm. to leapfrog over something and that's where innovation comes in. So as we looked at that, absolutely, we want, I'd like to believe, and I can't control anybody but myself, that I've got to look at myself in the mirror and say, am I behaving in a trustworthy fashion? Both my professional um, acumen and also kind of my just my interpersonal way I behave with people. But it's more than that. It, there may be a, um, a system that has grown up within an organization unintendedly where uh, a lack of trust exists. And so as we thought about it, what might be some pieces? And of course, it's very complex. And when I did this on the thought leader piece with um, Bill Bellows, I really got some good feedback from folks. But one of the things we came to the conclusion to is that if we are clear and transparent about process and we use consistent processes for decision-making, at this, at, in this case at the central office level, and then encourage it throughout the organization, people are, would hopefully trust the decisions that are made. So we've, we really work hard not to be arbitrary about decisions. We have all, um, I believe, embraced the PDSA model. Um, in fact, I, I even heard one time at one of our presentations at a board meeting, I heard uh, kindergartners saying the term PDSA, which was great. <laughs> but if, good. Good. Especially if, if, since most adults don't even know what that is. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so if, if we're using those processes and people know that we're using those processes, now I'm a realist. I know that when decisions are made, not everybody likes it, but hopefully they trust that we've been through a process where we have you know, we have done the proper planning, we have done the proper assessment, and that we have a theory on which we're basing our our, our improvements and that we're going to, right, we're, after we implement it, we're going to follow up and, and see if it had the desired effect. So we really believe that a PDSA is a systemic structure that can help build trust, which consequently frees people to feel more free about innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the innovation, from my perspective, also should occur through the PDSA process. It, it's a great tool for people to use. So um, that's kind of the gist of it, that it, okay. that trust is more than just interpersonal interactions, but it is something, it's a cultural, it's a, so, well, we live in sociocultural systems. And so um, trust is a systemic structure that impacts all behavior throughout the system. And I think as leaders, whether you're the leader of, in my case, the school district or a teacher leading his or her classroom, We've got to uh, find processes and procedures that help build that trust and, and free people from having fear in the organization. Very good. Um, just for the audience's sake, you can hear Doug uh, speak about this on Vimeo via the Deming.org website. You can uh, access and listen to, it's about 50 minutes or so. It was an excellent uh, presentation, so I, I, I recommend that 
that folks that are interested in this subject go out and, and uh, listen to Doug speak about trust as a, as a systemic structure for innovation in both schools and organizations. So Doug, let me ask another question here about you know, you, you guys have, you're, you haven't been around doing this for as long as, let's say, Leander, you know, no, you know the early nope. adopters. But, but at the same time, you're not exactly a newbie either. You've been uh, working with this for a few years. Mm-hmm. If, if, if I were a superintendent uh, or a board member or a teacher or somebody like that, how, what would you recommend uh, that I do? And, you know, I, I've, Boy, what Doug's saying here is very interesting, or even what David Langford and uh, uh, Monta Aiken said from Leander about uh, Dr. Deming's philosophy in education. What, what types of recommendations might you have for, for folks like that? Well, the, the most obvious is try to contact someone who knows more than you do about it, which is where I seem to spend most of my time. Okay. Um, you know, but... You know, it's a difficult piece because it is so different than the way we were trained. We're mm. just not trained this way as educators to think about our, our classrooms and environments as a system. Mm-hmm. And so the, the first piece may be to try to understand your classroom as a system, right? It's, it's a whole with a bunch of interrelated parts. Um, some of those are kids. Uh, that's the most important piece, you know, how they work together, but also the curriculum. Um, I know folks... Uh, I have to believe Dr. Deming was kind of against standardized tests and ranking and sorting people. So that may be one place to start as you look at your at your grading procedures um, and go back to Dr. Deming's notion that it's not our role to rank and sort people. Mm. It's our goal to help them learn. And so how might that impact how they, quote, grade? Um, we're looking at that pretty heavily, and we're looking more at how we use formative assessment um, through the through the process of learning to understand where students are and what their needs are, um, and not worry so much about the grade, um, but under, helping folks to understand first of all, if they're a system, which they are in the classroom, what's the aim? Every system needs an aim. So are people really clear on the aim? I, I would tell you back in my teaching uh, career, which is ended about 22 years ago, that. Uh, the aim was for me just to look at the textbook and see what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't often think about that aim. And so we're really encouraging our teachers to think about what your aim is and then to make sure you communicate that with your kids so clearly that they know exactly what it means to do quality, you know, to what they're supposed to accomplish and then what it looks like if it's done in a quality sort of way. And move away from those traditional grading practices that really, um, you know, if, if I'm going to guess, and I've got no research on this, it's just my hunch, if you were to go to any high school in the nation and ask their teachers, what does an A mean, I'm going to guess you'd get as many different answers as you had teachers. Hmm. So a whole mm-hmm. grading system it is a system, and it influences student behavior. What we've found is um, that a lot of kids work to see what they need to do to get the A and that's it. And so when, they're, when they've gotten their A or whatever grade they want, they stop working. And so our encouragement is, and we've seen this with some kids who come back now and say, you know, I, I, I got a 95 uh, on that particular exam. What can I do to learn it all? And we're starting to see pieces in that. So I would really encourage uh, teachers or others to start examining um, the way that they um, grade students and what that really means for them. And then, uh, again, 
understand fully what your aim is for any given lesson or unit and then make sure kids know it and uh, you know work through the PDSA process with them and uh, you know work in that way and you know they'll find as we have you you step and you misstep and you learn and it's just a continual process but we have found trip so many teachers in our district who are so enthusiastic about it um, mainly because they see students being more interested in their learning and they're seeing higher levels of achievement one um, this is kind of off topic a little bit but I want to mention it I read a study uh, several years ago about um, students losing their joy for learning mm. and as I was reading it and there were the results were on the next page of the book I was reading as an elementary former elementary teacher I thought well I know kids are going to love school through elementary and it's going to drop after that and when I turned the page I just was so disheartened because joy for uh, the decrease in joy for learning starts at kindergarten with kids and it drops like a rock through about eighth grade where it levels off at about 30 percent and again that tells me it's the system mm -hmm. um, so that continually reinforces me about our work but I think teachers understanding that systems approach in our classroom is a great place to start. No, that's very good. I uh, appreciate you sharing that. that. But, but I would also say easier said than done because <laughs> as David found out in his time in Edgecombe, once you start doing things differently and getting better results, there are people in your building who might try to persuade you to go back to the old way uh, mm -hmm. because there's a feeling of threat. But would encourage people to go forth with courage because it's an, it is the best thing for kids. Well, I appreciate you sharing your time today, Doug. Is there anything that you'd like to clarify maybe that you said during the course of our interview, or is there anything that I didn't ask that you had wished that I would ask that, that maybe you'd like to bring into the conversation? Um, I think just reiterating the part about the stagnant achievement. Mm. And while people are well-intended, they don't have, and I guess I'll use this, not saying that I have it all, but they they don't have the profound knowledge about systems work, and you know, and, and, and the pieces of systems of profound knowledge that can make some uh, lasting improvements to the system. And you know, there's a number of reasons for that. Public education is very political, but I wish you know I would hope that people would work towards that way of of looking at the fact that we've tried multiple things that have not worked, and take a more systemic approach in looking at it. One of the things that helps me, and I've actually had this posted on my door when people come in and they get sick of me asking it, but it's, it's Deming's, one of Deming's set of three questions that I always ask people. And it's um, one, for what problem is this a solution? Or what are we trying to make better? Um, by what method will you improve? And how do you know that's a, a good method to use? And then finally, what, by what method will you determine whether or not you've made improvements? That to me sums up the whole continual improvement process. And uh, three good words to live by. In fact, I had one of my administrators jokingly say to me, if he, if he asks me that one more time, I'm going to slap him. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it's really been good. three good questions uh, for me to continue to ask as I do things or as others do things to cause them to reflect deeper. It's just you, knew, you know as well as I or better than I do that this work is profound and it takes continual study. And, and, uh, and that's what we've been trying to do as a district to move forward. Well, it sounds like you're doing a great job, Doug. Uh, we appreciate you sharing your time today uh, and telling us a little bit about uh, Urbandale and some of the things that you've been doing and, and what you've learned from uh, operating with the, uh, Dr. Deming's philosophy. We Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to have the opportunity to share.
Hi, this is Trip Babbitt, announcing that on April 27th through the 30th, 2015, a four-day Deming Institute seminar titled Systems Thinking and Leadership for Owners, Executives, Leaders, and Managers at All Levels. This event will be held at the Nationwide Hotel and Conference Center in Columbus, Ohio. To register for this event, go to www.deming.org and click on Events. We hope to see you there.